Hi, I'm Jeffrey Scott Pearson. I'm a musician, an author, and a Trump refugee. And you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I am Wendy Sheridan. Welcome to episode 150. In this episode, I am very excited to speak with musician and producer Scott Pearson. He is someone I worked with quite a few years ago in North Carolina when I was recording there. And he's just become a friend, and he now lives in Netherlands and has a lot to say about being an expat looking back at the U.S. and what what the heck we're doing. <laughs> no, it's a very, very, very cool conversation. So it, I will be glad to share that a little later in the show. But before that, we are going to enter the blanket fort to talk about getting through the upcoming holidays. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X Twitter at Leftscape. <laughs> <laughs> X Twitter. <laughs> I'm pleased to help support the podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. We post exclusive content there and we promise we will start doing some events again. We will let you know um, that we'll make that happen. And please join us there at patreon.com slash Excellent. So this fortnight, I learned that competitive art was once an Olympic sport. From 1912 to 1948, artists could earn medals for painting, music, sculpture, and even architecture. And I am furious that they don't do this anymore because I totally would have wanted to be, to compete and be in a, like Olympic musician. Or, An Olympic or musician. <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> I never heard of that concept. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. I love I it. Think I wonder, I'm, now I'm wondering if the music thing ended up being like the Eurovision song I, contest. I, I was going to say, yeah, that's <laughs> the most similar thing. But like <laughs> judging architecture in the Olympics, I can't even think of how that would work. Well, <laughs> would, they, I, I, would they build like a little model and then they would have it out on a table or something? <laughs> Is that, you know, it's not like they're going to take the judges around to like, various cities and look at buildings right I, I, like who the hell knows i guess we'd have to research i'd have to research that yes um, <laughs> but yeah i and, and i'm just i'm thinking of of like a sculpture competition that is live and they have to do it out of clay like in an hour or something <laughs> it's like like all these all these reality shows that we have now right, right but yeah i i think i think they did a great disservice by discontinuing the art, the competitive art portion of the Olympics. That's, you know, but this is not a hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this fortnight, I learned something that really blew my mind. And I feel like I wonder if people just know this and I had no idea. So people meaning people particularly into a certain type of punk rock of a certain era, not like, you know, general knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, so Mike Saunders of the Angry Samoans, Metal Mike, was actually a music critic before the band and everything. And the, the Angry Samoans, like, I love them so much. And they are just sort of the most intentionally sophomoric, just kind of vile band <laughs> ever. <laughs> and it's amazing. I, 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 I just love them. But anyway, he was a music critic and he wrote for Rolling Stone and, you know, Cream, a bunch of those things. And he is credited by some as being the first person to ever use the term heavy metal. Huh. So he first used the phrase in a review for Humble Pie's album As Safe as Yesterday in 1969 in the November, November 1970 issue of Rolling Stone. And then again in a review of Sir Lord Baltimore's Kingdom Come in May 1971 in Cream. So... Huh. Some people think it might have been someone else that actually used the term first, but he's been, even on like BH1 and stuff, has been credited as the first person to come up with that term. And I'm like, just out of who I thought they were, I thought, you know, they just seemed like a bunch of stupid jerks to quote one of their songs <laughs> in the Angry Samoans. And to know that a couple of them actually were music critics and writers like back in the, you know, 70s, late 60s even. And he could have made that contribution to our tech you know taxonomy of music so wow. that's pretty interesting yeah wow and and i think i think i came across that issue of cream and threw it out with the other issues of cream that i found the last time i was going through crap i needed to get rid of um and if i did throw it out i feel bad but if i have it still i will give it to you and you can yeah that would be you amazing because <laughs> i i had a big stack of cream magazines from that era and i was cleaning out things i may not have kept it i don't know wow. um yeah i almost threw out a couple of really old wonder woman comic books that are actually worth some money at this point and my daughter said don't throw them out and i asked a friend and they're like worth they're worth over a hundred bucks each in the condition that they're in, which kind of blew my mind because they're the books themselves are terrible. Because mm. <laughs> it's one of them is from is a Wonder Woman from 1968, and the other one is from 1973, I think. And it's just, I mean, I understand it's you know, it's the times, but it it was all so misogynistic and racist and awful. Oh God. <laughs> time capsules right <laughs> oh my god it's like and it's just written really badly i mean the, the two the two of them it's like these the superhero women have to fight each other so they would marry this guy that neither of them wants to be with so it, it's oh like god. they're forced that's the whole plot it's like they're forced to fight to the death for the privilege of being with this guy that neither of them want so and don't ask me why out of all of the comic books available to me when I was 10 years old, I picked that one. You know, I, I don't know. I, that's, I guess I need to talk to my therapist about that. But Interesting. I, wow. I think and this is all because I'm trying to avoid getting into the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I picked some news that's a little more neutral than. Yes. Yes. I mean, the news we're handling today is not. Not there's the worst no, of the news. There's, there's, we know there's shit happening. There's, there's people dying and getting killed, and and it's it's still too much to deal with. 
John Oliver handled some of it, right? <laughs> we yes. could go watch and he that. could barely handle it on last yeah. week tonight on sun, last past Sunday. He gives a pretty good overview. He doesn't go into the history and I'm not going into the history either. If you want, <laughs> if you want to hear commentary about that, go watch John Oliver. And, and with a gonna... side of humor. So it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we are now going to tell you all the news that we can handle. <laughs> and our first piece is, it's a follow-up on, I think we reported about this, about Colorado and Minnesota. There were two lawsuits brought to their state judiciary to get Donald Trump removed from the primary ballot using the 14th Amendment as their reasoning. For right. the, yes, thanks whatever, for following up theory. on that. Yeah. yeah. A judge in Colorado is expected to rule on a case brought in the state in the coming weeks. Last Wednesday in Minnesota, a court dismissed a petition to remove Mr. Trump from the primary ballot but they left the door open for petitioners to file another challenge on the general election ballot. I mean, maybe the judge is hoping Trump will lose the primary. I mean, that would be, I, that would be a good scenario. I would like, I would like nothing better. Lawsuits have also been filed in 27 states by John Anthony Castro, who is a Texan running for president. And that's including New Hampshire and Michigan. And I can't find any details on those, although the little bit I did read in one of the links that will be in our show notes, he's using the theory that Trump shouldn't be on the ballot because he's he should be disqualified because of the 14th Amendment and he and this man is being harmed because he's pulling votes away from him people arguing on the other side are saying, well, that just because if Trump isn't on the ballot, that doesn't mean you're going to get all his votes. So who knows what that, what's going on with that. Right. And a lot of people were saying that basically who's going to define what his transgressions were mm. in terms of insurrection or, or wh however it gets defined. And that's the, that's the problem with it. It's so, yeah, like it seems obvious to us, but legally it's pretty yeah, loosey-goosey, which is yeah, because I that. guess we have to. It has to be proven to a certain level, and and it's also the and, other and is it supposed to get proved federally or by that particular state or you know there's like a lot of since it's right, and yeah. it's also they don't you know the the state the secretaries of state in the in, in these various states don't want to be the person to decide to take somebody off the ballot because of the rabidity of the Trump followers, because they're, I guess they're afraid of death threats, et cetera, et cetera. So they're leaving it up to the courts, which is a longer process, but that's happening. So, yeah, um, and I figured a... since we talked about it last time, I figured, I, <laughs> and there was a little bit of news about it, I figured I'd bring it up. So that's sure. what's happening with that. Very cool. Well, we had some elections last week, and I know you were working the polls, right? So. Yes, another long, long day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, some good news, definitely. Ohio voted to amend the Constitution, their Constitution, to give individuals the right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions. 
Excellent. including abortion. So that was pretty big. I, I had a lot of friends in Ohio celebrating that. It, it yeah. passed by uh, 56.6%. Yes. 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 So that's yeah, and I, and significant. I, yeah, and I know the Republicans in the in the Ohio legislature are trying to say it's vaguely worded and all that stuff. But then I read what the law was, and it's not vague at all. It's basically you have bodily autonomy. It's between you and your doctor. Yeah, pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that issue also seemed to really affect the Virginia elections. Democrats took full control of the General Assembly there. Excellent. Which, yeah, which was big because Glenn Youngkin, the governor, was very, there was a lot of money poured into these elections. And he was actually trying to champion like an anti-abortion position. Yeah. And, you know, helping, quote unquote, helping <laughs> the candidates on the Republican side with sort of lending that kind of energy. I think he wanted like a 15-week ban. So it was like, in his mind, like a compromise. It wasn't like yeah. just totally illegal, but yeah, not, you know, yeah, not very helpful <laughs> and easy to not even know you're pregnant, you know, by a certain time. So anyway, that's a whole yeah. story. But it's interesting, though, that that stance really pretty, it seems to have pretty much backfired. And a lot of people think that he was someone who's trying to, you know, level up in politics and that this mm. was a setback for him if he was trying to become president one day or whatever, you know? So, yeah. but yeah, so I think that's, that's good news because Virginia, a lot of people look at Virginia as like, where, where is the country going? And they're trending, they're trending blue. Yeah. I mean, in Vir and it's, it's great because Virginia has been pretty damn conservative about a lot of things. Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember I spent a good portion of my childhood living in Northern Virginia. And, and I remember some friends of mine got married because they weren't allowed to cohabitate and rent an apartment in Virginia. Nobody, it was like illegal to rent an apartment to unmarried male and female people at the same time. Well, I don't know if that's still true. And I remember they wouldn't let you marry somebody. They wouldn't let you perform a marriage there. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, because uh, because I, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't um, know why they wouldn't. But they, they wouldn't. said they said that I had the online clergy yeah. thing, you know. But I also right. talked about the coven right. and having a you know uh, a pagan clergy, and they basically said what they wrote was that they didn't recognize a a, a religion where everybody was able to perform rites. So you needed to have like a designated person who's your priest or priestess or whatever. That's and then that would be valid. But if, if anyone in the group could do it, then that's not, they didn't accept it. Oh, yeah, like I said, they're conservative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was interesting. That was a tangent. <laughs> that's a tangent, but I remember it pissed me off a lot. <laughs> Just remember that. In Australia, the state of Victoria is drafting new animal cruelty laws, recognizing additional species as sentient in that they can feel pain and pleasure. 
Other jurisdictions in the world also explicitly recognize animal sentience in law, including Denmark, France, Greece, and New Zealand, and in the United States, only the state of Oregon and Washington, D.C. also recognize sentience of certain animals. These new protections are expected to cover more species, including octopuses, squid, cuttlefish, lobsters, crabs, and crayfish. Under the Victorian government's proposal, new care requirements would be introduced, including minimum standards to guide nutrition, physical environment, health, and behavioral interactions. This includes pets, animals on farms, and those kept in zoos, with a new offense to be created for owners who fail to provide the requirements. So I think that's pretty cool. I like that people are recognizing the sentience of animals, and it does kind of make me feel a little weird more about eating eating them but <laughs> i'm not quite ready to give them up but i well, think that's I, that's I, nice i enjoy seeing lobsters on the list because i always feel bad for them in the grocery store they're, <laughs> they're all in the tank and i want to like i want to yeah <laughs> i want to have a free the lobster campaign yeah but don't take <laughs> off their rubber bands no <laughs> But, um, yeah. God, I hope they would make that rubber banding the claws to be cruelty because that that's going to make <laughs> it's going to make it's going to make boiling them. them so much harder. <laughs> is that no, what you're saying? No, I mean, that no part of the thing is is cooking animals while they're still alive is yeah. part of the restrictions. And I agree that that's horrible huh. anyway. And our, and our yeah. <laughs> and our last item for the day is the Attenborough's long-beak echidna, which is named after the British nat naturalist David Attenborough, has been thought to be extinct for 60, about 60 years. And they have seen it for the first time on a trail camera in Indonesia's Cyclops Mountains. So it's not extinct. So yay. That's really it cool. It was just very elusive. Yeah. And I guess you have footage on there. I want to check out the link and we'll we'll post the links on our site as well. Yeah, it's, it's a cute Very little nice. guy. Echidnas, hmm. echidnas are really, they're kind of, they're anteatery kind of animals with spine. With They kind of, they have like a anteater nose and a porcupine body. <laughs> they have <laughs> lots, of, lots of little spikes and they're really adorable. And I'm glad that these little guys are still around for now and, and. And that's all the news that I can handle today, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was some uplifting news. I like that one. Catch a new wave with Save by Zero on Radio PBS, independent internet radio from Melbourne, Australia, now Thursdays at 7 a.m. Eastern, and again to start off your Sundays at 12 a.m. or Saturday night at midnight if you prefer. Join me, your host, Andrew Genus, and take an hour-long dive into new wave, post-punk, progenitors, and permutations. Save by Zero, Thursdays at 7 a.m. and Sundays at 12 a.m. on RadioPVS.com. Welcome to the Blanket Fort, where we talk about emotional things, 
you know, sometimes you want to hide in here sometimes. <laughs> and, and the holidays are fast approaching in the United States. We start with Thanksgiving. Well, you know, it's, it's the fall holidays of Halloween, Samhain, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, Yule, Hanukkah, Diwali. <laughs> Actually, I think Diwali is happening right now. Diwali's right uh, now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was coming up because I keep seeing old things about it. And I don't really know what South Asians do to celebrate Diwali. I don't know if it has the same if they, you know, if it's a gathering of family that you don't see all the time, like we do it, I, I, this, this, I think is, is my pre-Thanksgiving pep talk for people who might enter, have to entertain or be in a room with family members who may have different political opinions. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a big or, part of what stresses people out about holidays. Yeah, or or that they're, you know, that they, the politics is one thing, but I mean, right now, there's a lot of shit happening in the world that a lot of people have opinions about that. And some very different opinions. Yeah, and <laughs> and scary. and they, yes, and that they are probably you know, and and not only that, but it also could bring out. I don't want to say the worst in them, but it would it could bring out bad or stressful statements or say people saying stuff like you look at them like, oh my. Well, I and, think it brings it. I mean, you know, talking about the Israel the Hamas. Well, situation that, for sure there's, that's there's, the, or the russia ukraine situation right or, you know yeah, yeah. or the the or the uh, impending presidential race or any of that shit um, I, I think what i would say is it brings out like a type of a strident statement from people yes. okay people can be very like this is the way it is you know yeah it, on it, all it, those topics it is it is an oily rags situation <laughs> Right. <laughs> and and they could be a match you could be a match on the oily rags or whatever but i i and i probably talked about this before and probably before every thanksgiving there's a couple of phrases that i really really like and i never remember to use them in in when it's time <laughs> so i keep this i'm doing this for me as well as anyone else listening the phrase i'm surprised you feel comfortable saying that <laughs> practice it <laughs> that is a good one i have not ever used that i, I have to just be stunned and walk away yeah I well, something I mean, like that <laughs> but yes that i'm surprised you feel comfortable saying that is not quite the match on the oily rags but it lets them know that you may have a, an issue with what they just said but right, we haven't right. escalated it anywhere yet. Interesting. Yeah, well, that is good to remember. I am grateful that I don't have situations like that. Like, I think sometimes when I think about my summer family reunion, that is probably closest to <laughs> those situations where, oh boy, we're going to talk about this or whatever, you know. But <laughs> for the holidays, for me, it's really about chosen family. Yeah. And getting together with a few people. Thanksgiving will be 
a small vegan Thanksgiving here this year with a couple really good friends. And, but then it gets tricky. And I, we talked a little bit, I think it was before we started recording about polyamory and that mm. navigating that type yes. of thing. You know, so there is a poly Friendsgiving that's happening this Saturday. Mm. Um, a friend just invited a lot of just friends over, friends and partners or whatever. And that's going to be a really cool, like sort of potluck hangout kind of thing. And I And I really appreciate it because it can be difficult for people to get together with everyone they would like to see around holidays just because right. of lo logistics more than anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think I'm feeling, well, I'm feeling stressful because I don't know what I'm supposed to cook yet or what, the, <laughs> you know, so I've got to find out about that. But other than like the dumb details, I'm really looking forward to that. But I will have some, you know, figuring out when I can get to see someone that I really want to see around the holidays this time around and how that's mm. going to work. And it's kind of new in terms of mm. wading through all that. So, okay. um, so that's sort of my, I would say it, it's, it, it's like below the level of an anxiety. It's not like a big stressful, I want things to be a certain way. And I don't know if it will, it's, it's like, I would like things to be useful and to have some connection around holidays with this person and i don't know i it's like a question mark in terms of how those things will be worked out so mm. yeah we'll see yeah my but daughter is, does yeah. my daughter does a friendsgiving as well and i i am new to that concept and i am not doing one of those but we are we are doing a more traditional thanksgiving with the family who are local and that's basically my husband's family and it's gotten better you know it's i know i know like the grandkids actually like coming here which when i found that out i was very surprised because you know they don't really interact with me a lot but it'll be fine <laughs> i'm not i am not anticipating any contentious politic talk in in this house this year you know i yeah after after the the anniversary party we had last month everybody seems pretty cool and and that and everybody's getting along right now so i'm i'm not anticipating any anything you know there's just the the large amount of work of feeding you know 10 people or whatever <laughs> however many people are coming over and uh, so that, but I'm used to that. And I've also got PhilCon between then and now, <laughs> and that's on the weekend. And I'm currently, I, I personally, I'm more concerned with my cosplay for next weekend than, than people <laughs> for Thanksgiving. Cause that's like after the, after the weekend, so then I can worry about Thanksgiving, but. And PhilCon uh, is a science fiction fantasy. Yes. Science fiction thing. convention. And right. it's in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And the live evil video we made three four 2019 showed up in my facebook timeline so it is definitely go to the the leftscape facebook page it's there nice it's there on our timeline that I was our like drunk yeah facebook I, live <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was like our first experience with facebook live it's very strange I'd, I'd do that again that was fun <laughs> yeah i i would 
consider that also. I would just say to anybody who is worrying about being with contentious family members in a couple of weeks to just take a take deep breaths remember the phrase i am surprised you feel comfortable saying that practice it in front of the mirror (laughs) (laughs) and whip it out if you need to you know and you and maybe try not try to make it a, a no politics zone or something during the meal and and do it after so you could storm out of the house or throw them out of the house or whatever <laughs> well hopefully <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come to that but yeah I, and i guess my thought and how i'm approaching things for myself this season is ask for what you want you know ah. like if you want to create a gathering put that out there you know i'm sort of making a different type of a new year's thing i think this year that i'm sort of working out and talking to people about so that's one thing and i want to have no christmas thing i'm gonna get some indian takeout the day before nice just relax and actually i might work i usually sometimes work on christmas because like no one bothers me it's just like quiet (laughs) i can put the yule log on the tv (laughs) (laughs) and just relax and we'll have yule you know i'll do some yule things before that and but that was big because i think there was you know a a potential gathering for christmas again as i did last year and i said you know i don't think i think i want to go back to my quiet christmas yeah so you know for us it was always just christmas eve at my mother-in-law's and we're doing you know that's the thing that we do I don't know what will happen once she passes, you know, at some point in the future. But I, Christmas Day, we have never done anything because, you know, I was raised Jewish, which, you know, that Christmas was go to the movies and go to the Chinese restaurant. That was, <laughs> that was what we did for Christmas. And, you know, Yule will be great. I don't think I'm doing much for Hanukkah, although... If I do get to that thrift store and, and buy that menorah with the woman, there's there was this silver menorah at this thrift store that was advertised on Facebook. It's a, a local thrift store, and it was a it was this like relief of this warrior woman, and she's like fighting and doing something. And I go, what the hell is this? this is a menorah? Who is this woman? <laughs> I want to know about her because this is like I, you know, was the Maccabee was they were they women in the Maccabees too? Like we're fighting? I have no idea. And it looked really cool. And I would I would do a menorah if I could have that one. So nice. Well, I actually like to light the candle. So if you want to do it at, and with me any of the nights, I would. I don't know when it is this year. It's on the 8th. Starts on the 8th. So it's not my birthday, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Which is good. <laughs> yeah. I think the best thing is try not to take things personally. And I mean, unless they're really like in your face making you take it personally. Like they say, well, this is personal. I'm doing this to you. I'm saying this to you about you. Um, don't take things personally. And, you know, let it wash over you. Like, don't take the bait. That might also be, (laughs) that might also be the move 
is don't take the bait because that, that is good advice yeah that might happen because i know sometimes my stepson's one of my stepson's will will say things i think just to get a rise out of me <laughs> so i have to re i have to these are all things i need to say for do for me so <laughs> yeah they might well, i hope you, you do. i hope you have minimal troubles like that oh i won't season. i will i don't expect to have any problems yeah um, i think my mine will be good so yeah. I'm looking forward. Yeah, and I hope uh, all of you listeners have a, a, a peaceful holiday season and get what you're asking for. <laughs> One more time Before you wake up in the wild In your eyes Together with the Nature Conservancy, you have the power to make a difference. For unspoiled nature, for beautiful wildlife, and for people everywhere. Together, we can find a way to ensure that all life on Earth can thrive. world needs us now. Every day we lose more lands, waters, and the wild species that depend on them. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Well, I am happy to be here with Scott Pearson. Over the last five decades, Scott has been a recording artist, a music producer, a TV sound composer, an educator, an entrepreneur, a fine artist and painter, a social media and marketing consultant, and a tour guide for his adopted hometown of Utrecht in, near Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I had the opportunity to work with Scott on some of my music back in the early to mid-aughts, and that seems ridiculous that it was that long ago now. Right? Because you <laughs> look it's... the same, damn you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh man. So it has been a joy to uh, to catch up with Scott and I'm really interested in what he has to say on this topic that we're talking about today which is what the US looks like from somewhere else. So welcome to the Leftscape Scott Pearson. Thank you. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be here. I I've, I've enjoyed it uh, off and on for the last couple of years, you and the ladies. And so uh <laughs> thank you for being uh, the voice of uh, of the left there. Yeah, it's a, it's a big subject, you know. I I have a weird history with politics and up until about 10 years ago I really was well, 15 years ago I really wasn't interested in it, but the changes in the world forced changes in me. You know. There you go. <laughs> well, that would be an interesting story about that journey too. But I just I want to hear about your sort of physical choice to leave the U.S. So I, I think you decided to leave for at least a couple of reasons that I'm aware of. But I'm curious: was there anything particular about the social climate or the politics in the U.S. that sort of pushed you over the edge to make that decision at at that time? Well, yeah. what year did you leave? I'm curious about what year that was. Right. Well. 
and you were at my wedding to my very liberal wife at the time. So right. my wife, Rebecca, and I were uh, pretty concerned about the political climate around 2011, 2012. We were living in North Carolina for some reason. And, <laughs> and North Carolina had a ballot initiative to approve gay marriage. And they sent it to the public. And this ballot initiative, I would have thought, would have passed with flying colors because why does who I love affect your life in any way? But it was voted down by the people of North Carolina in a huge way. I think it was 74%. And at that point, you know, you're talking about basic human decency at that point. And I began to foster the, the kernels that became the seeds that became this idea way back then. But that is the incident. Because later on, of course, you probably know in 2014, the federal government said, screw you. No, you can't do that. Uh, North Carolina, gay marriage is absolutely legal. And it, and it is legal in North Carolina, but only because the, federal, the feds overturned it. But it basically told me something. It told me that seven out of 10 people that I was going to encounter in that environment we're probably not going to think anywhere near the way I did, because if nothing else, it's neutral would be fine. But here, 75 percent about uh, of the people went out of their way to say we disapprove. And that's yeah. too many for me. That's three quarters. And that's too much. So, you know, over the next couple of years, I, I, I noticed, uh, you know, as you did, the kind of the end of the Obama era and, and how he was hamstrung by this uh, Republican, the Congress. And, and then when Donald Trump was put, you know, even as an idea to be a presidential candidate, we kind of looked at each other like, well, that's great. We're going to have a Democratic president because no idiots would vote for this person. He's a game show host. Right. You know, he's a failed <laughs> businessman and a game show host, of course. So I was, I was perfectly happy with that. But as the as it went on, I began to see shadows of like the the Germany in the 1930s. I really did. Where we're starting to say you can't trust the elections, and there's all this, you know, these lies that are substantiated by the media, certain media, you know, in this case Twitter and some of the alt right stuff. You know, back then Tucker Carlson was huge. You know, Alex Jones was huge. I mean, this it was a poisonous atmosphere, and. And then when he was actually elected, that was the day, you know, literally the next morning when we found out he was elected, I was like, well, can't live here, can't live here, seriously. And by that time, Rebecca and I had separated. And I won't say that political stress wasn't part of that on some level, I think. But yeah, the moment that he was, that, that Trump was elected, I knew I was going to be a Trump refugee. <laughs> that was my wow. term for it. And uh, Okay. So I didn't realize that you November, were still, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So when that happened, I immediately put my house on the market. I, I The next two months I spent cleaning up the house and making it presentable and, and selling it. Car, job situation changed it, you know, and, and then presented this idea to the current girlfriend at the time. And Shannon was at first, she was a little bit resistant because she had a great job at SAS, which is a, a big, a big pharmaceutical software company, but making good money and, and in a very comfortable place. But politically, she was right where I was. And so ultimately, and I kind of wanted to go and get a master's degree teaching. So I wanted to use that as kind of an excuse. I hadn't spent any of my royalties that I had made over the years. I'd done really well in the music industry. I just kept putting that money away for a rainy day. And boy, when Trump was elected, 
to that, that. This is the storm. This is the rain. I need to pull that money out. So I, I did. And by the time he was inaugurated, you know, with the eight people watching, we were well <laughs> on our way to a plan. We had actually planned to leave before then, but there were some things that I had to deal with, with the house being bought and my parents and getting them kind of set up because they're older and stuff. I don't want to go too long into it. But uh, initially, we were actually going back to England. So we went to Dundalk, Ireland first, where I had a job set up at Dundalk uh, Institute. It's a university there to to teach music. But if you don't know, Dundalk is literally on the Northern Northern Ireland border. And so when they Brexited everybody about two weeks later, then the, all these people were coming out. Like I, I finished my class and it was all these, you know, demonstrators and, uh, and, and people, you know, caterwauling and, and lining up and, uh, and basically, you know, protesting. And I was like, I, I can't go through this again, honey. I can't go through this again. Oh, wow. So we literally got that night. That's... We basically uh, went on the internet and we're looking up best countries in the world. And, and we found that the Netherlands had a very stable government and, you know, low cost of living and, you know, a, a, a decent climate, not, not nice as North Carolina, but certainly decent. And, and, and so I applied to a couple of universities and they both said yes for me as a teacher. And so when I came to Utrecht, I was not only teaching at the university, but I was also getting my master's at the same time, because why not? You know, it didn't cost hardly anything because college in Europe is nearly free. It was about $2,000 a year. That's amazing. (laughs) So that's a whole topic, too, about, you know, the differences in costs of things you know, necessities versus taxes and things like that right. between the U.S. and, and in Europe and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's a big um, difference yeah. with all that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. food here is 15% cheaper. Housing's 20% cheaper. You know, certainly gas is more here, but you have public transportation. And, and uh, the, you know, the system that we're under now is I have a, a train pass for 50 euro a month, about $50 a month. I can travel on any train or bus or tram in the country, which is less than $2 a day. I mean, so I can go anywhere for, for practically nothing. So, you know, personal care products are, God, they're probably half of what they are in the States. My cellular telephone bill is 24 euro a month with unlimited service. You know, a clothes are more expensive here. I'll give you that. Levi's run about 200 bucks a pair. So wow. nice clothes do run a lot here, but you can get cheap clothes at the moral equivalent to uh, to Walmart, which is called Primark. That's our, our Primark? <laughs> Primark. <Wow. laughs> Interesting. That's so funny. So, okay. So then that system, it sounds like, as far as I understand it, that you your taxes are higher, but there's sort of a more, a greater sense of paying into a system that takes care of everyone, I think, you know, in terms right. of, yeah. yeah, they take so care what of are them. some of the they things that, yeah, yeah, so I that's mean, like healthcare Utrecht, for, for sure. Example, mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, Utrecht was one of the big surprise to me when I started doing the tours, I learned that Utrecht, you can't be homeless. I had noticed there was no homeless people in, in a city of almost half a million. And I didn't understand that. And I found out that homelessness was simply illegal. And so if you're homeless, you go to the Gemente, which is the city government, and you say, hey, I'm homeless. And then they put you up in a hotel. And I, I ended up running into a man who had been in a hotel for 25 years. He's blind. 
but they were not going to let him be on the street because it's just not part of the personality of the country. You know, small countries, they take care of each other because everybody knows everybody. <laughs> I mean, I say that in jest, but I, I cannot go out for more than three or four hours without even someone knowing me. And that never happened in the United States. It just didn't because everybody walks everywhere here or bikes everywhere. And it's a big town, but it's a real small city. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of both. So uh, that was a big surprise that I, I don't know about you. I, I would love to engage your, 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 your listeners with this. You and I are of a similar age. We'll say that we're over 50. We'll just go with that. And we were brought up to believe that America was the greatest country on earth. Remember that? Remember that we uh, had to stand every yes. morning with our hand on our heart and pledge <laughs> our allegiance to the flag. Of the United Under States. God, which, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Which, if we saw films of Chinese people doing that, we'd go, "Oh, look at that blatant propaganda! Oh, what a what a horribly restrictive way!" Here they are chanting these songs. No, we were doing that shit, and it was yeah. all a big lie, including taking care of each other. This idea that we take care of our veterans. No, we don't. You know that we take care of the poor. No, we don't. That we take care of the sick. Of course, we don't. You know, if yeah. you've got money, that's fine. But that, that works anywhere in the world. In the Netherlands, if you don't have money, we're still going to take care of you. That is, it's it's heartening. And it's very, I don't know, it is a little scary to be here when you think about that. That, you know, everybody or many, many people are like one mishap or accident away from real trouble, you know financially yeah and... I, i'm not maybe you can help me out i don't know since i've been gone for almost six years i mean actually over six years i've heard things so what's happened with housing i've heard that housing's gone crazy you know i mean i i know that housing in terms of rents and things are super high when i hear like mm -hmm. what an apartment would be that i would have rented you know like years ago it's like double or two and a half times or almost triple sometimes in some cases, depending on where it is, you know? So wow. that okay. has grown a lot. You know, that's changed a lot right. in terms of buying houses. I, you know, that's, I don't know that changes. And I know that sometimes it's, you know, people say it's hard to sell or, or everyone's trying to, well, one of the things that happened with COVID was that a lot of people left cities that could afford okay. to and bought, like in suburbs and things like that. So that changed the housing market for people that were in those places before. But I'm not super up on the whole di okay, current so dynamic that was with real, that. Because I, I, I had say. seen, or we had seen in Europe, we had seen videos of people or heard rumors that people were leaving New York. And finally, after 40 years, prices were actually going down because people were leaving. Or San Francisco, Oakland in particular was mentioned, San Diego, sort of large U.S. cities that people were I won't say abandoning, but certainly due, I'm assuming, partially to the high cost of living and to be safe, uh, that people were kind yeah. of uh, moving away from the urban areas. Right. That that was a thing, especially during COVID, like how much it changed the pricing. I'm, I'm not sure, actually, honestly. Right. But that's definitely, you know, was a thing that happened. I'm curious about how people because i guess so so trump was elected while you were still here but had, I, i'm i feel like he's like a topic that no, the, nobody in the world can escape so like was That's there a true. take that <laughs> was there a take that you heard about that or the people well, looking you know, at the u.s my, from... my, my neighbor downstairs 
who is who's a little older than ours. Uh, he works for an NGO in Sudan. Uh, so he's a very international guy and he's in Stockholm this week, actually at the conference. And he just said that the people of the world were, were kind of dumbfounded. They, they thought it was a kind of a weird joke at first, you know, I mean, that it was even running. And then when he was elected, that, that kind of sort of dumbfoundedness turned into real fear. That mm. first year that Trump was elected, when I was here, ooh, it was it was tough. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the Dutch Parliament is very similar to the American, uh, you know, situation, except that it's a bicameral legislature and stuff. But it is a constitutional monarchy, not a constitutional republic. So you guys are based on what the uh, what the what the people say theoretically, and we're based. The monarch has no power here, but we have a, a prime minister, and the prime minister is beholden to its uh, the the electorate through the legislature because we have many many parties. So everybody has to work together. You have to work together. So extremism cannot exist here without. Mm it being abated, you know, like you just can't, you can't get enough going with it to make laws that are like the laws that you're passing now in the net in, in America, like, like the abortion law, for example, that just is not going to happen here because you can't get that much together. But the perception of these legislatures, and they said this live on television, thank God in Dutch, was that, uh, that they had no idea what America would be in two years. Would it be a part of NATO? Remember, he was saying things like, I'm not going to part, would they be part of the UN? Would they would they pay their UN dues? Would they could they be counted on if there were economic issues or even security issues? You know, so I think that there was a lot of insecurity after a couple of years. It appeared that that even though Trump was in charge, that there was some kind of sanity that was keeping him contained. And so there was a bit of a uh, relaxing, but they never really, uh, you know, they've still been watching the whole thing. And uh, there was a real big, uh, huge parties when, when Biden was elected here, almost like wow. it was the United States. I mean, huge parties, because uh, I think there was just a collective sigh of relief. America is the largest GNP on the planet. So the power of it just economically politics aside, are enough to bring a lot of attention to them in a place like the Netherlands. Because the Netherlands is a very small country, but very powerful. You know, 80% of potatoes come from the Netherlands. Almost all carrots in the world come from the Netherlands. They're a huge exporter of food, way more than you would think for a country this size. It is fascinating. There's six in the world and for, uh, in terms of like uh, beef production. I think they, uh, solar energy, I think more than half of all the buildings and and uh, things have solar energy because the uh, the government subsidizes all that. So it's very, very progressive. And Trump's election threatened that because of all yeah. the companies that we have that are interconnected, you know? I mean, and the list, I could go to IBM and Shell and, and Microsoft and Google and all these things. We all have that here as well. There's huge... Mm -hmm things here. So I think the first reaction was fear. Then there was some weird acceptance. And then with Biden, there was a bit of happiness and sort of relief. And now there is real concern again, because they didn't think it could happen the first time. And now it feels like if he actually did get in, there'd be no stopping him because there's no, he didn't have to get elected now. He can do whatever he would want to the last four years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. You seem very depressed at this point. No, I'm I'm pretty nervous. I'm hoping that one of his one of his 
court cases, like six with something. Right. So that he's That's just really frustrating. I will say that in casual conversation with people, they don't think the justice system works anymore. Yeah. They, a lot of them are. I'll see it when I be, I'll believe it when I see it as far as Trump actually going to jail or, or, or getting responsibility for this, because we don't see that happening a lot. They all slip through the cracks, don't they? Jeffrey Epstein slipped through the cracks, you know, uh, before that. Uh, just insert political leader here, slip through the cracks. Nobody ever seems to pay for their crimes there, do they? It's. Pretty questionable. I think I feel like with the he now is indicted in Georgia. He's actually supposed to at the time of recording, the day of recording, he's supposed to actually turn himself in in Georgia for his indictment Today, there. For yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So the state case actually has a greater sway in the sense that he, if he were elected again, he couldn't pardon himself from right. a state conviction right so that yeah, which, which that isn't saying the, that that could happen debate last night they asked if he was convicted <laughs> like would they still support him and what monsters <laughs> i mean who does that? this i mean because this same happened if you know your history in 1933 you know they had the uh the fire at the at the reichstag you know and they had mm -hmm. this whole thing happen in germany where they called into question the legitimacy of of hitler's you know rise to power and 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 the questionable practices there and everybody just turned the other way for political reasons and and then you know Hindenburg died, and and Himmler got uh, in charge of the uh, the SS, and and it just started like a wave. And if you can't see the similarity, then you don't know history because we really, you know, they the election of nineteen thirty six didn't even occur, but they only had one party at that point. They they made it illegal to have any other political party, and you had to swear an oath. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> you had to swear it an sounds oath eerily allegiance. familiar. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I just, uh, I'm actually surprised America's doing as well as it's doing. I honestly thought that I really did think that we were probably going to descend into some kind of civil war in the next couple of years in 2018 when Trump was elected. I thought this will float for a couple of years and then it's going to be us versus them as far as what I consider enlightened versus not, mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah, so I feel I, I, I feel a little bit hopeful that I think we had some resiliency and people were, count, you know, countering this shift all along the way. But at the same time, I have that feeling of when has it gone too far? And if, if you when you realize it's gone too far, it's too late, that kind of nervousness right. about right. it you when know it gets to the so, hands maiden's tail we're dead <laughs> you know that's it. yeah and and i i'm don't i i keep having reasons to feel you know cautiously optimistic and at the same time i don't want to be caught in the american exceptionalism that you sort of mentioned that there is a part of us i think that's ingrained that's like well we're going to figure this out because right. we always do it's always it'll always turn out okay you know and yeah that's I, a dangerous thing it's, thing it's is, good to have confidence but it's also dangerous when it's too much well there are you know? great people in america 
I have to remind myself of that because, the, and there are, and, and it's a beautiful country. Uh, a lot of, a lot of it is infrastructure's falling apart and the things that are in control of the government, that's not so good, but there are still great people there. I, I don't think that the country is going to disintegrate, but I do think that it's inevitable at some point that, that I, I think that America is too divided to be one country. And I think what will end up happening is not unlike Germany. After the war, Germany was divided into five city states, as we'll call them, provinces. And I think America is going to end up doing that. There'll be a Florida province. There'll be an East Coast province. There'll be a West Coast province. Probably Texas will have its own, maybe a Midwestern province or something. But because the, the, the needs of people, say, in Anchorage, Alaska, and in in the, the keys of Florida are so radically different, it, it's folly to think that a federalized government is going to be able to satisfy those two groups. It's just not going to happen. I, I remember when the people made the government back in 1770, blah, 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 that it was only 13 and they were all close together, you know, and oh, yeah. there was not automatic, you know, weapons and there weren't the Internet and all that stuff. So it, it's a lovely idea to think a federal. Yeah, that might have worked back then, but it, it, it won't work now. It's too big. It's just too big. Hmm. You know, so eventually that'll happen. But whether that's in the next 10 years or the next 100, I don't know. You know? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what that would be actually like. So it's it's it is a little bit. Well, I think The Handmaid's uh, Tale was not a bad uh, or uh, not a bad, uh, you know, the Margaret Atwood book sure, was not yeah. a bad shot you know what it might be like there was another called the the man in the high tower or something like that that was another mm -hmm. yeah kind of the same sort of feel to it i, I don't think it's going to go that radical and but it's not that not for lack of trying there's certainly elements that are that are pushing this i'm really pleased and i have to compliment america that shootings aside i'm surprised that america's not more violent about it so I guess anything else that you have observed or that, you know, or, or, or people that you've talked to in Europe that have observed about the U.S., you know, there's a, there's a politics, anything cultural that stands out to you that's different, things that you either notice as weird now or things that you miss, anything that's sort of either oh, sure. any, any of the above. Uh, the, uh, and, and it's across the board. Some of it's really small and some of it's really big. I'll, I'll name a couple of things. First of all, eggs you don't need to refrigerate eggs i don't know where this ob this came but they don't refrigerate eggs in europe and it's just fine i don't know where we have this idea but i'll bet you have eggs in your refrigerator don't you i would if i had eggs but yes okay but there's something oh, about they eggs? wash them or do they do something in the u.s to them that you don't need to do i believe exactly the yeah they yeah. do that and you know so you know i think the biggest the biggest issue for me is that as an American English person here, because my dad's English, I felt like a lot of explaining had to be done. And, I, and I'm and i not proud of being an American. And mm -hmm. what I hear from them is that they used to idolize America. They bought it. They bought the American exceptionalism because movies told them about it. Most Dutch people learn their English through television. And that meant that they got indoctrinated just like we did in a way. And then they began to think for themselves somewhere around the age of 15, 16, 17. And I know this because I teach global perspectives to 16, 17, and 18-year-old kids. And their parents thought America was great, but they have no such illusions, right? Mm 
And so the thing that bothers me is it, it just feels like it's the perception is that it's going downhill and that it's a big clumsy giant with a big stick that doesn't know what it's doing. And and it doesn't help when you have leaders like, you know, Julie Giuliani and Donald Trump and Sidney, you know, these are the people you're trotting out to represent the, the best and the brightest. I know all the great people, all the smartest people, you know, all of whom are in jail, you know. And, <laughs> right. Or heading there, possibly, quite possibly. So so that was that was kind of a big thing. And the medical thing, you know, we, we, we mentioned this on an earlier conversation, and it will shock your listeners. But while I was here, I did have a heart attack. And as I and as I went to the hospital, it was made clear with a, some exploratory surgery that I was going to need a triple bypass. And a triple bypass is a huge operation that requires you to be on a heart lung machine for about well, for me it was about forty five minutes. So really frightening, right? But very very competent doctors and all this. Long story short, in America, even with insurance, this is a hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollar procedure. And even if, let's say your insurance is fantastic and there's only a 10% copay, that's still $20,000, you know, which maybe some people have, but I'm guessing not a lot, you know, based on what I know. And, and that just simply was all taken care of because of socialized medicine. And I know that if I, when I was in the States, I was paying about $800 a month for my medical costs for me and my son, which is a ridiculous amount for paying for nothing because we weren't going to the doctor for $800. We just, the possibility of going to the doctor and $800 is four times what my actual bill was for the heart attack. My bill was about 200 bucks for magazines from the lobby and people parking. And I got some to go pizza a couple of times and all that. That's that's what I had to pay for. But everything else was taken care of. And that helped my recovery. You know, worrying about all that shit after you've been through this. I mean, trust me, when they sit you down and they say, okay, Mr. Pearson, we're about to begin. You know what she's really saying is, yeah, there's a 0.2%, your chance you're not going to wake up from this. Is there anything you'd like to say? That's really what she's saying. So when you wake up from something like that, you have a different perspective on life. And mm -hmm. my different perspective convinced me that what I'd done was the best thing ever because it had to do with choosing love over money. That's, that's what it really came to. Choosing love over, over security or perceived security. The people here are loving people and they, they react with love. The crime statistics will show you that there's love, you know, not allowing homelessness, a liberal social policies. That's all love. That's all taking care of your brethren. And America doesn't do that. And that's what has to change. I mean, politics aside, this is a core thing about the American personality. I know you're all about rugged individualism. That's what it was founded on, right? And I appreciate that, that, the, that my forefathers in America went out into the West and, and, they, and they forged the land of their own by stealing it from the people that were there and murdering them. You know, but but with all that is context, and the context means that you don't love your brethren. It's, we just don't see that demonstrated. Look at our history. There's no demonstration of this. Yeah. And I live uh, close to the city of Brotherly Love, which is kind of a pretty tough place in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I like, I love Philadelphia, but it's, I, I, it I do doesn't, too. I, it's, I saw it's, an article it's, yeah. <laughs> about Kensington recently. 
in the New York Times, they had a big feature article. I, uh, that's my own, I do that as an indulgence of mine. I do get the New York Times every day, even here. Okay. So I like to see how Americans think of themselves. But uh, <laughs> keeping up with us, you know. So if you ask him what, the, that's kind of my take on it. And I guess you know, before all your listeners you know, decide to pack up and move here, there were absolutely challenges, and I don't have time to go into all of them. But obviously, learning another language in your fifties, which you kind of want to do on some level because you want to be able to converse in their tongue but is it essential no it's not essential in fact in europe i don't if you haven't been to europe essentially everybody who's worth a crap knows how to speak english and if they don't know how to speak english they're probably the type of people who were supporting trump i hate to say it but that's kind of my i've been to germany i've been to poland i've been to to france to italy all these countries when you're in the city Lots of English, progressive thinking. When you get out into the rural areas, not so much. And and, and you end up with even people who love Trump. I, I, we were in Lisbon, my, my wife and I, and we got into a, a taxi. And he was so excited that we were Americans. And he goes, oh, you're the greatest president ever, Trump, and blah, blah, blah. And she and I were holding our tongue because we just needed to get to our destination. You know? oh, but by the time we got there, we were in a full argument. And, and he kicked us out of the, uh, the taxi. We tried to pay him. He threw the money at us. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, that's he great threw the story. Money at us, and neighbors, other other people in in uh, in uh, Lisbon saw this, and they came and they were bitching at the cab driver in uh, in Portuguese while we were secreted away. You're like, don't do this to the tourists; we need them, and blah blah blah. But you know, so it's it's here too. There is radicalness here. It's just yeah. doesn't have the voice that it has in America. And the gun thing, guys. Oh my God, that's the other thing is that I know people in in Europe who've canceled their uh, trips to America because they don't want to get shot, you know? And I know it sounds stupid because you and I know that it's not the case. That Your day to day is not know. like that, but, but things happen and it's, well, remember you know, what their mental scary. image is of the old West, right? What they see is old movies where everybody has a gun and at the slightest provocation, bang, 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 you know, that is not the case in Europe. It just isn't. You don't see people with guns in Europe unless they're legally, you know, they're, they're law enforcement or the military. And if they do, there's a good reason. You know, they're, they're, they're doing something good for you. They're, they're trying to keep you secure. I don't tell this to all the French people, however. They're having a rough time of it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I, the, Americans, uh, we, we love them. Uh, in a way, because everything that comes out of America is sometimes great, you know, awesome movies, interesting inventions. You go to the moon, you've invented the internet, you know, great stuff because of the people. But the government just blows, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your, you know, your statement about really leading with love and finding a way to have government embody that, that's amazing. And it sounds... yeah. It sounds, it sounds so aspirational sitting here in the U.S. right now. And, right. you know, but, but I think that there might be some way to find sane people who can do that. You know, we, we have some candidates from time to time who are not, there's no way they'll win, but has mm -hmm. some of that aspect to them. But sometimes they're also a little bit nuts, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like finding right. grounded people. That right, my my wife is a big them. fan of Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, yes, Wendy and I. She are has too. a tattoo. 
of Elizabeth Warren's statement or the statement that was made about her that said, nonetheless, she persists. Remember yes, this? That was well, beautiful. She has that on her arm. Nevertheless, to she persisted. Her, <laughs> which I thought was just, just the right thing. I knew I was with the right girl at that point, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I don't want to be doom and gloom at all. I, I think America, there are pockets in America that are going to do fine. But there are also parts of America that are going to be left behind. And I think now is the time to make those decisions. So I would encourage your audience members to think about where they're living and think about what that means. And if they're, if you're living in a place that doesn't reflect who you are, like I did, uh, you don't know what it does to your soul because it's very slow. And it's, it's a day-by-day thing, and it's a slow eroding of your humanity. And I think that you got to get yourself into a place where there's love in order to uh, to fight that that's that and that's what i did i i just escaped to love i have to say that i haven't met any dutch person that i currently hold a grudge against everybody that i've ever met has just been freaking fabulous i mean just over and above generosity of spirit and 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 their their soul in general you know that is so you got to come beautiful over. advice come i will absolutely <laughs> i hope you do that would be great. I would love to do that with you. I'd love to do some uh, some some media also that you could take back with you. That'd be great. We'll do it. Good plan. I love you, you, Rob. I'm really happy love to you have too. been on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. I really do. I'm really happy to see that you're doing okay and that uh, you're still out there fighting the good fight. <laughs> on behalf of all liberals, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So on our next show, I speak with writer and activist John Oliver Mason. And before that, we will do the Why Is This Awesome segment. And I'm going to talk about all of the various concerts I've been to lately. There's, there's been a lot, actually. Cool. <laughs> and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to talking all about that. Yes. I'm looking forward to hearing your concert report. Nice. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on X Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. If you are hanging out on Discord or in the sub genius circles, you can find me as Andrew Genius. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards on Blue Sky as Vox Woman, and on Etsy with Wendy Cards with a Z. And remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. So until next time, be safe, think peace, and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.